Amen. And you may be seated. It's good to see guests tonight, too. Praise the Lord. Thank you for coming and being here with us in the auditorium. And many, many folks out here, you can comment. There are places to comment and ways to do that. Get in touch with us and let us know that this service is a blessing. And we strive to be a blessing for the Lord and to the Lord's people. There may be some lost sinners out here tonight that are viewing for the very first time. I want you to know that Jesus Christ saves, keeps, and satisfies. Can I get an amen? Amen. If you're excited about being saved and on your way to heaven, give me another amen. Amen. And I'll amen myself as well. That's all truth, and that is good. We do want to feed our faith on the Word of God and starve our doubt. The Lord is in control. We're about a week out from the election, a very important election. I believe God's got it all under control. How many of you agree with the preacher tonight? God's got it all under control. Praise the Lord. And uh, likewise, uh, prior to that, there is a time change that's taking place. Most places, there are some parts of the United States and territories where they don't have time change. But we're going back to standard time from daylight savings time this weekend. So Saturday evening, would you turn your clock back? Fall back, all right? Fall back. Turn it back one hour before you go to bed. Uh, get up bright and early. Have your devotions. Have your breakfast, your cup of coffee. Come on to Sunday school and church and be with us. Uh, this Sunday is the first Sunday in November. What an exciting month it's going to be. Many things going on, but it is a month for us to praise the Lord and give thanks for His unspeakable gift. God is so good. Did you enjoy the 57th anniversary this past Sunday? Amen. Was, I just had a, had a ball. I had a blast. 57 years of God's faithfulness to His people here at Central Baptist Church. And tonight, I want you to take your Bibles with me as you're doing that, turning to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, let me say a great big thank you for your very great, generous hearts. You've supported the work here of the Lord 57 years. You've supported all 18 plus years of our portion of that. And you've been so generous with God's work and uh, with God's servant as well. I want to say publicly again how much I appreciate what you did for this preacher on uh, Appreciation Sunday, which was last Sunday. Uh, it was not expected. You pulled a sneaky one on me. You, you didn't send the preacher out two, three Sundays in a row so that the deacon could get up and talk to you about giving to the preacher, which you've always done so well. Thank you so much. Instead, you did it electronically. And so uh, it was a good secret, though, by electronics. Thank you so much. I don't think... Uh, that our phones are, you know, the mark of the beast or the antichrist or anything of that nature. But uh, sometimes it can be a little challenging. How many of you have had more than one discussion with that phone? All right. Yeah, I'm not saying on the phone. I'm saying with the phone. Now, I want you, I want you to know no matter what you say when you're disgusted, that phone doesn't care. That phone's not going to respond favorably if you talk to it like that. And uh, so anyway... Uh, maybe, maybe one of these days we'll have a, a longer discussion about phones. All right, you found your way to the book of Ephesians. And how many of you have been with us from the very beginning of this study? 
All right, when we started with Ephesians, we told you that it was written by the Apostle Paul and written to the church at Ephesus, one of the seven churches that are mentioned in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, one of the seven churches uh, of the last times. And Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus, which was a mature group of believers. They were pastored uh, by different individuals that we know in the New Testament. And Ephesians is written by inspiration by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers who are rich. Now, they're not materially rich, all of them, but they are spiritually rich. And by extension, we can say that tonight we're going to get another look at the great riches that we have in Christ. We are only a sinner saved by grace as we have sung tonight. That great song by James M. Gray and Daniel Brink Towner. It reminds me a little bit of the song that's also in our hymnal now, written by the Gaithers and by Mitch Humphreys, written much more recently, Sinner Saved by Grace. If you could see what I once was, if you could go with me back to where I started from, then I know you would see the miracle of love that took me in its sweet embrace and made me what I am today, a sinner saved by grace. Isn't it good to be able to say, I'm saved and I'm saved by grace, and I'm saved and kept forever. Praise the Lord. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Bill uh, Gaither always introduces this when he or uh, the homecoming group or the Gaither vocal band sing it, and he says, even on our best day, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But praise the Lord, I am a sinner saved by grace. I was condemned. I was condemned. We're going to talk about that. That wasn't God's original plan. God's original plan was not for us to be condemned. No, sin took us to that state. Sin, willful and deliberate sin was the cause of that. But then God had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful plan. We're going to see all of that as it unfolds. The first chapter of Ephesians, uh, the emphasis is on God the Father. All that God the Father had planned. There is absolutely nothing in this world that catches God off guard. Absolutely nothing. You say, I was so surprised I was taken, I was caught off guard. But God wasn't. You can, you can, you know, calm down. All right? Calm down. And come back to earth. Get your feet on the ground. Relax. What do they say? Take a chill pill, right? Relax. Relax. No matter what you're going through, or what you're going to go through, nothing surprises God. God knows all about it. And it's wonderful to have a loving Father who hears and answers our prayer. If you heard my devotional this morning, I had an original song on there. Yes, He's a wonderful Father. He hears and answers your prayer. He listens to His children pray. Just like an earthly father may stand in the doorway and listen to the little children praying. If you're not there when they start in, or they're praying, or they're needing a talk with their Heavenly Father, and you as the earthly parent, you listen in. You say, isn't that wonderful? Just like that, with that same wonder, with that same smile on His face, God listens to His children pray. And He loves us, and He's got us covered. So His provision for our every need, His taking care of and covering every problem, every challenge that we have, expresses His great indescribable love toward us. 
This is what chapter 1 is all about. Now we have come to chapter 2. We started it last week. And in chapter 2, the emphasis is on God the Son. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where did God, through His Son, show His great love? It was at Calvary, at Golgotha. That's where it was. And so God put on display for all the universe His great grace and love that brings salvation. And the center uh, of the heart of the message of chapter 2 is that the grace of God provided us that wonderful blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin, that gives us power, that gives us authority over all the spiritual uh, antics of the devil and his demons. And we see this right from the very beginning in the first three verses of chapter number 2. He is so rich toward us. But now let's look at verse number 4. Verse number 4. And we're going to read down a few verses. Follow me. Ephesians 2, 4. But God. That is probably uh, one of the most exciting uses of the conjunction but that I have ever seen. But God, who is rich in mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. You say, but I, I want to get what I deserve. No, 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 no. Man went to get his photograph taken for some professional purpose and and uh, said afterwards to the photographer, um, this photograph doesn't do me justice. And the photographer kind of smiled and said, when it comes to your picture, it's not justice that you want, it's mercy. And uh, amen, come on, get an amen on that. Amen. All right, I'm glad you're smiling. All right, so that's it. His great mercy, not giving us what we deserve because we're condemned, lost sinners. And so God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, we're going to come back to that, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us, through Christ Jesus. Sounds like there's more than one that's involved in this. And folks, we're all in the same boat. We're all on the same downward track until we cross paths with this one, this divine being, God the Son, and He makes all the difference in our life. I want us to pray right now and ask God to open our hearts and minds. Shall we pray? Father, we thank You. Lord Jesus, we want to praise You for being the one who loves us so much. And thank you that we have salvation, not what we deserve, but what you have granted us. And we praise you. Open our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen. God intervenes. God intervenes. That's the but God part of it. God steps into our impossible situation. There is absolutely no hope for anybody on this planet unless God intervenes. There is no way that people are going to be able to meet God's standard of righteousness unless God intervenes and grants by His grace the righteousness of Christ through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we know that God is rich 
in mercy, and He intervenes in man's experience, in man's uh, everyday life, and at the time when we may not even expect it, but we certainly need it, He meets our need. He interrupts death and condemnation. He interrupts judgment. He interrupts the, the horrible sentence that is ours, and He does so with mercy. And He's quickened us, He's raised us up, He's made us sit in heavenly places, and He has a great purpose for us as we're going to see here as we look at this word by word and verse by verse. God intervened, praise the Lord. He did what we ourselves could not do. Jesus Christ came into this world to what? To seek and to save that which was lost. That's me, that's you. More specifically, He came to do the Father's will. The salvation of our lost, condemned, hopeless soul was not an afterthought, but rather was part of God's plan since we had fallen into sin and since we're all condemned. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Leaves nobody out. We're all under condemnation. Jesus came to do the Father's will, to please the one who sent Him. And He said that very thing when He was asked about what He was doing. He came to do the Father's will and to finish the work that God gave Him to do. And that's the key, the finishing. It gives us the motivation to finish what God has placed His hand upon us to be and to do. We don't want to be not quite done yet. Anybody here cook? Anybody cook this week? Anybody do anything with your oven? I'm not talking about uh, microwave. I'm talking about with your oven. All right, you know what I'm talking about? And did you go in and test and see if it was done yet? You know what I'm talking about. You don't want something that's half-baked or partially baked. You want it to be finished. You want it to be done. And God sent Jesus Christ to this sin-cursed world to take care of that sin curse. The sin curse is our fault. And God's part is to send Jesus Christ to take our part. And He did. He absolutely did. As He hung on the cross, what's recorded in the underlying text of the New Testament is very interesting. He cried with a loud voice, It is finished! what every high priest would cry every year on the Day of Atonement when he had anointed that uh, mercy seat with the blood of that innocent lamb for the sins of the people. He would cry, It is finished! from the other side of the veil. Jesus Christ, our lamb, cries from the cross, It is finished! Now it happens to be recorded in the underlying text of our New Testament in Greek, tetelestai, tetelestai. It is finished. It's done. It's done. I can't do anything more because nothing more needs to be done. I can't add to what Jesus Christ did. No man ever lived like Jesus lived. No man ever loved like Jesus loved. No man 
ever served like Jesus served. No man ever spoke like Jesus spoke. No man ever suffered like Jesus suffered on the cross. Nobody, nobody ever died like Jesus died. And here's the good news. Nobody ever came back from the dead to die no more as Jesus did. Mission accomplished. Well done. And that's the motivation for you and for me. One day we'll stand before Jesus Christ. We want to hear Him say, well done. We have no excuse except to finish what He's called us to finish. But God, who is rich in mercy. How rich is He? How rich is that richness? The word for rich has the sense of abounding or overflowing. The word for mercy has the sense of Goodwill to those who are in a miserable state. So with His great love wherewith He loved us, God's mercy emanates from His love of all of His attributes. All the rest are wrapped up in His love. His great love is what produces that great mercy, both attributes of Almighty God. It is unchangeable. It is indescribable. It is... It is indisputable. You cannot in any way come up short when it comes to the love of God. You can't come up short when it comes to the mercy of God. So much so that throughout the scriptures we find in many places mercies in plural. The tender mercies, plural, of the Lord. He's rich in mercy to give us spiritual life to replace what we've read about spiritual death. All, all are dead in trespasses and sins. That's what we read. Sinners walk according to the course of this world. Sinners who are not yet regenerated are servants of the prince of this sinful world the prince of the power of the air. They're led by the spirit of the devil. They are of their father, the devil. They have their lifestyle, their behavior in lust and sin, uncontrolled. They fulfill the desires of their old nature and of their corrupt mind. They are by nature the children of the devil. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Those who have not yet come to God through Christ are still like those sheep that have gone astray. Uh, sin has them in its grip until Jesus comes and the, the power of Satan is broken. Uh, I think about the great song written by Oswald Smith, Then Jesus Came, Then Jesus Came. The, the grip of Satan is broken by Jesus Christ, by the one who is rich by the one who is loving beyond any love that we have ever known otherwise. We believe, and we believe to receive, and that's all we have to do. A man somehow had a breakdown uh, in his vehicle on the way to a revival meeting. He felt great conviction. He'd been witnessed to but was not yet saved. 
Unfortunately, because of the breakdown, he arrived late and he got there where the old revival tent was now being dismantled. And by the lights of, of trucks parked in that old field and shining on them, they were taking down the, the tent. And the man was beside himself. He had missed the revival meeting. And he went up to one of the workers and he said, he said, I need, I need to do something. I, I need to do something to be saved. I, 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 need to, I need to work and do something to be saved. And the worker said, you're too late. It's already been done. It's already been accomplished. And it has nothing to do with this tent being taken down. And there in that farmer's field where that tent had been erected and sawdust had been spread as the tent was being folded and placed in the truck to carry it off to the next place, that worker and that lost man knelt down in that mud and prayed and asked Jesus Christ to save their soul. Praise the Lord. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, right now hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's John 5, 24. Those are precious verses as we quote them tonight. And so God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins. I read a shocking illustration a young preacher was called from his study by a young boy in the neighborhood, said, come right away. And he ran down the street to the little boy's house and in through the screen door. And there the mother was beside herself. The baby in the crib was not breathing. They called the EMTs, but it was too late. Nothing they could do, no matter how much they loved that baby, could make that baby alive. And all the kind words and all the, the uh, Bible verses of comfort that we give while it may help the individual, will not make that baby alive. The only way to do that would be by divine power, intervention, a miracle to raise someone from the dead. That's what God has done spiritually. He has raised us from spiritual death. It seems so final. We have not only received life from Christ, we also have life in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ hath made us free from the law of sin and death. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Not only have we received life, number one, from Christ, and have life in Christ, but Christ is our life, as it says in Colossians 3, 4, where we read, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then we shall also appear with Him in glory. So He is our life. Those of you who have been involved in our programs in the past on Friday nights with the overcomers, uh, I am crucified with Christ, it says in Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified. I'm, my old life is dead. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ. Christ is our life. Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We deserve hell because we've sinned. But God, through his great love, worth he loved us when we were dead in sins, and through his, through his rich mercy, allowed Jesus Christ to take our place and pay the price tag of our sin in full. Not in part. He didn't just die to open up possibilities for us to work for salvation. 
Every false religion by self-effort and works is based upon that false, that faulty understanding of this payment made by God in and through Christ. If Jesus Christ dying on the cross, being buried and rising from the dead, didn't provide everything that we need for those who will call upon His name to receive Him as Savior, if that didn't suffice, then the death of Jesus Christ was a waste. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has to take care of 100% of your salvation or it can't take care of any part of your salvation. It is sufficient. It is total. So those that believe you have to do something else to get saved are wrong. And so are those who say you have to continue doing things to keep saved. And you'll never know until the end, they say, whether or not you've done enough good works to outweigh the bad works. So God will say those welcome words, come on in, or those horrible words, no, you haven't done enough. Now that is not Scripture. Scripture says Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. He experienced the torment of hell upon the cross for you and me. He was cut off from man and God. And uh, the, he, was, he was rejected by everyone in that moment when the one who knew no sin became the sin offering for us. He hath made him sin to be to be sin for us. He hath made him to be sin for us, rather, uh, it says, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I've got life. I'm thankful for my human life, my physical life. Doing well, thank you. Healthy, happy, heaven bound. Amen. Number two, I thank God for new life in Christ, spiritual life. That came from and in and through Christ. Number three, I am glad for, and I praise the Lord, for the abundant life. I don't have to settle for a miserable estate. I don't have to say, well, i got to wait out 70 years or 80 years or 90 years and be miserable and then go to heaven. And we know it will be worth it all. But like the Kingsman used to sing years ago, there's a little bit of heaven on this side. Every time we serve the Lord and we see Jesus beat the devil and kick him in the teeth, man, that's a little taste of heaven on this side. Every time we see a lost person come to God through Christ, that's a taste of heaven on this side. We've been getting a, a little sampler of heaven all this time. And even though this world is not perfect because it's not heaven yet, and even though we're going to be let down and let other people down, it's not perfect because it's not heaven yet, I'm very thankful for all the good things, the foretaste of glory divine, the blessed assurance, the earnest of our inheritance. Uh, we've got Jesus Christ. We've got the Holy Spirit in our life. We were dead in sins. We were dead in sins. That's the past. But He hath quickened us. He's made us alive. Together, there are more than one of us that are alive. By grace, ye are saved. Praise the Lord. The relationship before was non-operative. God was our creator, but we were not his children. And you can't say that every human being is a child of God. Every human being is a creature, a created being of God. We're part of God's creation. But only by being part of his new creation, being born again, can we say that we are truly 
children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So we have this quickening that makes us alive. We were dead before, and now we're alive. The allusion here is to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I just pulled out the book by Josh McDowell, Evidence for the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's got a whole series of books uh, that are written from a lawyer's perspective. Josh McDowell was a, an unsaved agnostic lawyer, and he believed the claims of Christ, was gloriously saved, and now for many years has been a producer of books, and he does talks with young people and young adults and millennials and, and college campus kids. And he proves from a lawyer's standpoint, using the evidence that's available, that Jesus Christ is what he claims to be in the Word of God. By the way, that is still operative. You can still do that. I, uh, I would like to extend a challenge to everybody who is viewing here tonight or in the future. If you, you're hearing my voice, you're seeing me preach this, I want you to do this. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is who I say He is, then I want you to check it out in the Word of God. And just begin reading the Bible with an open mind. That's all. Open mind and open heart. There it is. And you will discover what Josh McDowell discovered. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historic fact. It is indisputable. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is also functional with respect to every person who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Every saved person experiences resurrection power. We have available power to succeed, power to move forward in this life. We've been quickened together, quickened together by grace. The, the word grace is an interesting word. We've talked about this already, the amazing grace, the keeping, saving grace, the assuring grace of God. It has a sense of goodwill, loving kindness, and favor in in times prior to the writing of the New Testament, the word for grace, charis, had something to do with um, a favorable mutual relationship between two parties. But the usage in the New Testament now is different than what it once was in classical Greek. Because now the, the mutual benefit is only, it's one-sided. It's one-sided. Now God does what He does for us because He chooses to do it, not because we can do anything for Him. We, we come absolutely empty-handed without anything to offer Him. So don't say, <laughs> don't say, when God saved me, boy, He really got a good deal. No, He didn't. Jesus Christ had to hang on a cross rejected by God and man for us to get into this deal. Praise the Lord. All of the, the good comes our way. That's the, the charis of of it all. Perhaps the most succinct definition is the one that Spurgeon always used, unmerited favor, undeserved favor. Nothing we do deserves it. Say, oh, but I, I would really like to do something for the Lord. I'm glad because that's an evidence that you've been on the receiving end of God's grace. God's riches or righteousness at Christ's expense. He's raised us up together. There's that resurrection. Made us sit together. Oh, the sitting part. We have a glorious future. We see the past, we see the present, and we see the future. Now, we are seated 
This is a finished, a finished thing in the sense of, of it's already done. It's completed. I was, uh, was, was looking at that, and it's, uh, it's an interesting construction in the underlying text. The Greek, Greek verb beneath the text, seated, is in the aorist tense and emphasizes the absoluteness of this promise by speaking of it as if it had already fully taken place. Write that in your margin, as if it had already fully taken place. So it hasn't fully taken place, but that's the way God looks at it. God looks at our seating there in the heavenlies as having already taken place. So spiritually, that's where we are positioned in Christ. I am positioned in the heavenlies. That is marvelous. That's amazing. It's not just a physical resurrection that's going to take place at the rapture, but we are already raised positionally to be in Christ there in heaven. Jesus Christ, in other words, is our ticket. And he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never let us down. That ticket's not going to be canceled. That is a reserved seat. And we've got the ticket, Jesus Christ. And as long as Jesus, who says he'll never leave you, is inside of you, you're never, ever, ever going to be surprised and told, well, there was something else you missed out on. There is a purpose in all of this, though. And I want us to see what it says in verse 7. Uh, we are, as it says, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So there it is, in the ages to come. In the ages to come. God is going to have us as a trophy of his marvelous, <laughs> indescribable, uh, unquenchable uh, Never-ending grace. Think about that. Think about that. We have three heavens mentioned in Scripture. Paul talks about the third heaven he was caught up into in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3. So we know there are at least two others because you can't have a third without a first and a second. The first, of course, is atmospheric. The second is stellar. It's the stars and everything out there that's physical beyond. We have a huge universe, but not huge to God. God's bigger. God's so big that the universe that's beyond our comprehension, that's expanding, he can stand outside of it if he wants to. You say, that blows my mind. It's designed to do that. It's God, God is bigger. He is greater than all. So, so we, have a, uh, we have an atmospheric heaven, and that's the dwelling place of Satan and demons right now. My Bible says that no dictator or, or trigger-happy, trigger-fingered, uh, president's going to punch the button that's going to send the nuclear warheads that's going to set off world war or whatever and uh, destroy this world. God has reserved that destruction for himself. Second Peter says that the elements are going to fervently melt. Boom. And all of this first earth with its atmosphere is going to be gone and those demons are cast, cast into the Lake of Fire, Gehenna, with all those that haven't been saved. Think about that. The second heaven, which is stellar, be made over, it's going to be marvelous. And the third heaven, there's going to be a, a new heaven. So uh, we're going to have uh, part in the holy city. We're going to be suspended between the two. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. I can't wait for it. And we have a part in it 
Think about it. Not only in the future. We've got a part in it right now. Guess who is positioned in the heavenlies right now? All of you that know Christ. We're already there. That's amazing. That's amazing. And that's why Paul says in Romans 8.18... For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He then goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 to call this suffering light affliction. It's but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. God's getting us ready through this for that. We're already there positionally, but we're going to be there literally in the future. That's his purpose. You can ask Paul. You can ask Peter. You can ask John. You can ask David. Ask the writers of Scripture. We're going. We're on our way. We've got our ticket. Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. He writes to Timothy. So when we step through those gates, think about it. We're going to step through those gates. God's eternal purpose will have been fulfilled in and through us. That's the honor and the glory of all of this. That God would choose to stoop down to fallen, corrupt man such as we are. Regenerate us. And let us be the vehicle by which His great plan is carried out. We're created in His image, but sin marred it. Remember the old John Peterson song? In the image of God. Remember how marred, how broken we are by sin. He did everything to make us brand new so that we can be part of that. I'm just thinking about what it's going to be like. James McConkie, who is the co-founder of the Braille Library down in Richmond, great preacher in Pittsburgh years and years ago, faith is dependence upon God. This dependence begins when self-dependence ends. I can't save myself. I can't keep myself saved. That dependence is 100% totally upon the Lord. The Happy Goodmans used to sing a song. We used to, when we were first married, we, we could afford about five LPs, and we would play the same five LPs over and over until it just about wore it out. But I remember the Happy Goodmans, Vestal and Howard and, and uh, Rusty and all of them singing, I came through tribulation. How about you? How about you? How about you? I came through tribulation. How about you? Now, they weren't singing about the Great Tribulation. They were singing about what we go through, trials and tribulations. But God's grace is greater. He hones us, He makes us, forms us, and allows us to be part of the glory that is yet to be revealed. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Isn't it wonderful to think about God's wonderful, transforming, amazing grace. I'm so glad He included us. We're going to be
singing in just a little while, but perhaps you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now from your heart to God something like this? Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And if you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up? We're going to sing two verses of a hymn of invitation. And I'd like you to stand together as we sing.